Well, good morning, and uh, thanks for being here. I know it's really, really cold outside, and I need to make a public apology for locking some of you out uh, in the back. Uh, I did not unlock that door this morning. I apologize. Um, When I get here early in the morning, it is quite scary. uh, I'm not going to lie. And so I try to keep doors locked until other people show up, and I forgot to unlock that one. So my my apologies. I'm gonna uh, found a found a story. I'm gonna wanna read this before we before we jump in. I think it's uh, pertinent uh, for today. Uh, in the late summer, uh, in the middle of the 19th century, there was a wealthy young man named James from a well-known and extremely uh, wealthy Grappo family uh, who acquired their wealth through real estate. Uh, James was an ambitious young man, and even though he was independently wealthy, he was consumed by the gold rush uh, that was out west uh, that had started in 1849. When he finally arrived in California, he spent a large amount of his money uh, on purchasing hundreds uh, of acres of promising gold-rich virgin land. Uh, Little did he know that the land that he thought that he purchased was already purchased uh, by a, uh, to a wealthy Frenchman uh, and his business, the extremely successful Acme, Acme Packing Company, was already well-established on that land. Uh, James didn't know what to do, so he decided to settle the dispute the only way that he could out in the Wild West, and that was by a duel. Uh, the owner of the packing company was in no condition to fight, so he paid A.C. Rogers, the most accurate gunslinger in the West, to duel James. The younger James actually got off the first round in the duel, but missed Rogers completely, and that was when the experience and skill took over, and Rogers then emptied his revolver without missing a single shot and won a one-sided victory. Now we're going to have some audience participation here. Okay, you ruined it. All right, now listen. Did anybody, did anybody, no, she didn't ruin it, she didn't ruin it. Did anybody catch the deeper meaning to that story? One person obviously did, right? Some of you may have listened to that and just said, oh, he's just telling a story, right? And, I, and I'm just, he's just telling a simple story. It's completely made up. I wrote this last night, it had, and I'm not a good writer. It was just, I was just throwing that out there, um, right? But there's a deeper meaning here, right? So James uh, Garoppolo, Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo, James is his real name, right? A.C. Rogers, Aaron Charles Rogers is the gunslinger, right? The whole point of this little parable that I told you is that the Packers will uh, decidedly win today. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's the part in the story. Right now, listen, it doesn't matter if you know anything about football. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? I told the story, you listen to it, no big deal, right? Today, we're going to be looking at uh, parables specifically. And so I wanted to share one and just give a, a brief example of this is, this is why Jesus spoke in parables. And, there, and so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at that as we are now in the third week of looking into um, uh, the church and, and Hope Lower Town specifically uh, in 2020. And, and so this is really the second week. It was kind of a, so it's just kind of a weird series. I should have actually preached this one last week as we look at the kingdom of God and parables. He's, we're going to be sharing more parables, but uh, too bad. Uh, this is where we're at today. Um, and so last week, though, I spoke on this, uh, what is the kingdom of God? But authenticity is what we looked at last week of being authentic, that when Jesus calls us to be authentic in our community, in our lives, so that other people can see us and, and say, wow, there's something real about these people, that they're not hip- hypocrites, and, and they don't just do these religious activities because that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, they actually do this because they love their God. And so today, looking at Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23, 
looking at what is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God according to Jesus is good ground. Um, so before we jump into this, I read this last week, but I want to give a definition because I think there, there's a little bit of confusion when it comes to the kingdom. What, what is the kingdom? What does that mean? And, and it's not this physical territory, right? That's what we think of maybe when we think of a kingdom uh, or a nation or something like that. That's not what kingdom of God means, at least not in the scriptures. And so uh, one commentary has read this last week. It says, no doubt can be entertained that both in the Old and New Testament and in Jewish literature, Basilia, which is the, uh, the Greek for kingdom, when applied to God, means always the kingly rule and never the kingdom, as if it were meant to suggest the territory governed by it. So last week, when we look at that the kingdom of God is like a child, or he's not saying that his, his territory is over all children. It's not what he's saying. It's that our hearts need to be that of a child, to love and to accept, to be passionate about what it is, the teachings that Jesus is actually talking about. So then what is a parable? And before we jump into the text, I want to just give a little bit more background. Because um, I think we may, if, if you grew up at church, you, you've read parables, you've heard them. The parable of the, uh, of the uh, Good Samaritan and, and uh, the prodigal son. And there's a lot of parables that we might know. Um, even if you didn't grow up in the church, that might be, those might be familiar phrases. But we may not really fully understand what is the depth of a parable. And why is it that Jesus taught in parables? Uh, for the majority of his ministry here on earth? Well, the first point is that it makes an abstract idea concrete and visible. So you can take something like goodness, right? It, that's, a, that's a hard thing to try, to try to explain, right? So it takes this abstract thing and says, here, I wanna, I wanna show you what this is, right? Oh, beauty, it's hard to, what, what is a beauty like? Well, this is, I wanna describe beauty and I wanna show you what beauty is uh, around us. And so that's one things that one thing that parables do. The second thing is they move us from here and now to there and then. In other words, what we do understand to what we didn't understand, right? Even in my silly little parable, right? You understand the 49ers, right? The gold rush uh, that happened out west. You, you get that concept and, okay, there's a packing company. I don't know what that is. I, don't, I know what a duel is, right? We take that to say, this is where we're at. I understand this. I want to try to explain something more profound here. And my, my story was not profound. That, that was not the point of it. The third one is that they're interesting. Right? If, if you could care, you say, I don't know who Jimmy Garoppolo is. I don't know who the 49ers are. I don't, I don't know who Aaron Rodgers is. Well, that's not possible. But I don't know who the, I don't know who the Packers are. Right? I don't know anything about football. I don't, I don't care anything about that. You tell a story and people just listen. Right? When you're a good storyteller, that, and then Jesus is a phenomenal storyteller, that he tells these stories that grip people to the core, that even if they are antagonistic to the mention, right? If, if one of you is a diehard 49ers story, you would have listened to that whole story, and it might have not been till the very end, you'd been like, oh, he's talking about my team. Right? You, you just listen, right? You're, you're drawn in to these stories, and that's, that's part of why Jesus, Jesus does that. Fourthly, or fourth, they, um, they make us think for ourselves, right? That when a story is told, that as you're sitting there, as you're, as you're listening to the story being told, that I'm the one that has to think about this, that I don't have an interpreter, uh, as we're going to look at even, even further here, that what else is uh, important about a parable, 
but they make us think for ourselves. They make us arrive at our own conclusions, which is a good thing. We have to fill in the blanks, and when we fill in our own blanks, things stick. That we're not just being spoon-fed theology or some doctrine or some data. He's saying, I, I'm going to tell you this in a parable form so that you understand this. Um, back in the day, I used to do a lot of, a lot of acting and and, and when, the, when you have to memorize a script or a monologue or anything like that, it, it's kind of difficult. And, and the way I did it was just repetition, 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 just reading over and over and over. But another really big part of it was actually understanding the storyline. And so when we're up on the stage and we're acting and, and I say my line and somebody else gives their line back and I go blank, right? I got, I got nothing. I hated it when my director, there'd be someone else that would just follow, that was like their whole job. They would just follow along in the lines. When somebody got stuck, they would shout it out. I hated when they would give me my line. I want to sit here. I want to think about it. Not just what are, what are actually the next words that are going to come out of my mouth, but why? what's motivating my character to respond to what this person just said. And when I was able to do that on my own, it does something chemically, the synapses connect better. I don't know if that's true or not, but it made it stick that when I actually was able to, to come up with my answer on my own, it made it stick and I never had to get that line ever again. And this is what parables do for us, that we are able to figure this out on our own. Fifth, it also concealed its meaning to some. And we're actually gonna dig into this a little bit later because Jesus explicitly talks about this after he shares a parable. And he says, this is not for everybody, that it conceals some of the meaning to some, whether that's people who maybe are, are prejudiced to the, the speaker, prejudiced to the, the message being taught. Like again, if, I, if you're a diehard 49ers fan, you're not gonna listen to me talk about how bad the 49ers are, which is, that's stupid too, but you know what I'm saying? You're not gonna listen to them, right? Because you, you want, I, no, of course I'm not. But if I tell a story, you're gonna, you're gonna hear the whole thing. And that, that's, that's part of it. Or people maybe who are too lazy, I just, I don't want to dig into this. I don't want to figure this out for myself. It, re, it's re, it, reveals, uh, to, it's reveals to, it reveals to those who want to hear and it conceals to those who don't want to hear. And then uh, finally, and I think almost most importantly when it comes to parables is that it was spoken. It was simply spoken, that this wasn't studied, it wasn't dissected, it wasn't looked into, and hey, let's get a dictionary out, and okay, they used that word, what did that mean exactly? That it was spoken, and people heard it one time. It wasn't in print, right? For, for, for Mark and Matthew and Luke to write this story down, they had to physically get an ink quill pen and, and write it down. They didn't just mass produce this. But there was no time to consult anything or anybody. There was no time to study. It was simply spoken out loud. And so one thing that's really important about it being spoken, so to kind of spin off of that last one, is to grasp the text in their town. Who are these people? That how would a, a first century Palestinian, when he hears Jesus telling this story, how would they have understood this? We did this uh, in the Christmas series, looking at uh, Joseph, that when Joseph hears that my son is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, what is he under, his understanding of the Holy Spirit? That, that influences how, how we then hear that. And so we have to put ourselves in their town. How would they have understood it. And secondly, there's only one point. There's only one point to, to a parable, right? I think of this, uh, I, when I, in college, I took Shakespeare uh, twice, <laughs> not on purpose. Um, and, 
Um, the, fi the final exam on that was every single character from every single play in Shakespeare, and you just had to match up which play they were in. It was terrible. Because um, they're Vespaccio and Gastapio and Marcuccio and all these different names. Um, anyways, this is the point of that. That's what I was telling the story. All right, in Shakespeare class, this is what would happen. My professor would get up there, and the entire class... All they would do, all my peers, all my classmates, they would say, man, this tree, I think it really symbolized their love for, I don't know, that was a bad one, right? But, but oh man, Romeo and Juliet, I don't think it, you know, that, that there's, there's symbolism there that's going on deeper and, and there's hatred between these two countries and this is, this is representative of his time of, of countries need to get along and all these things. And I'm like, I think it meant that, that Romeo loved Juliet so much that he took his own life after she died. That's what I think it meant, right? That, that's the point of Shakespeare, right? At least to me. And, and so that's the whole class. They would just talk about all these different allegories and things that it could possibly mean. And every class, my teacher would say, Brian, you've been quiet. This was like, a, it kind of was a joke every, every week. Brian, you've been quiet. What do you think it means? And I would just read the text. This is what it means. It's right, it's right here. And that's kind of what parables are, right? That there's only one meaning to this. We don't have to dig into this. We don't need to over-allegorize it because it's not an allegory. An allegory is a story in which every possible deta detail has an inner meaning. That's the definition. And it has to be read and studied. How many of you were, requ were required to read Animal Farm in high school? All right, about half of you, right? Animal Farm was written by Orwell, Orwell, George Orwell. And uh, right, it's this whole book about socialism and all these different things, and these pigs are trying to take over the farm, and, and there's all these different things, and all these different characters in this, in this story, and everything means something. And that's not the case in a parable, that it, those who hear it, that there is one striking truth within a parable, and so that's what we need to think. How would a first century person in the culture understood what's being said, and then what's the one thing that Jesus is trying to teach here? That's what we need to do, not over-allegorize things in, in Scripture in general, but especially when it comes to a parable. So now, let's get to the text. This is Matthew chapter 13, starting to verse 1. It says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. All right, so these, these crowds, they just want to be by Jesus, and so it's pushing him, he gets in a boat so he can just get some space, right? And... Uh, and it was just large, large crowds. Interestingly enough, he's, he's no longer allowed in the synagogues, right? The religious people, the religious leaders have shut their doors to Jesus that he used to go into synagogues and teach. That's no longer the case. He's just out talking with the people that actually might want to hear what he has to say. And that's what motivates him then to share this story. And so while all the people stood on the shore, uh, when he told them many things in parables, all right, and this is the first time that this really is stated in Matthew, that he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Um, it was interesting in my study that, that the, the, the A, a, a farmer, is actually not a good translation, that it actually should be a, a definite article, more of the farmer went out to sow his seed. And within the context and within uh, Greek, uh, as he would have been speaking at this time, that the only time you would, you would do that, use a definite article, because no one, who's the farmer, who's the, who's the farmer, who's the sower in this story, that every single commentary I read uh, said that most likely Jesus was actually looking at someone farming. 
that they're all there on this shoreline and he's saying, hey, do you see that farmer over there sowing his seed? Right, that, that's what's happening. So he's taking something very tangible, visible. They can see, they can understand. And he's saying, now I'm gonna make this, this thing now more concrete. And he begins to do this, all of those points. He takes abstract idea, ideas and makes them concrete and visible, moves us from here to there. It's an interesting story. He makes us think for ourselves. It's concealed its meaning to some, and it was spoken. So this farmer, as they're viewing this farmer spreading his seed, and so again, just for a little bit more of understanding, because how, how would they have understood this? Uh, their, their farms weren't how we think, you know, in Minnesota, I grew up in Illinois, these massive farms, it wouldn't have been the case. They all have been hand sown and they would have been hand harvested. And so the way, because of the rolling hills and everything, they weren't these massive plots of acres. They were these long skinny strips that they would, that they would do that one person could individually harvest in one, one reach. And they would have these kind of lanes, if you will, that they would, that they would harvest. And there was two ways of sowing seed. There was one that would have a, a satchel or a sash or a fanny pack or whatever you want to call it. And they would go reach in and they would grab their, their seed and they would, they would cast it along this, this field. All right, and we got to keep that in mind because it was just a couple months ago that my small group, we were in Mark, and he's going to talk about why the stony ground and all these different things. He's not just going over to the, the path right, the rocks, and he's like, mm, I'm gonna throw some seeds over there, hopefully that'll grow. Oh, there's a big thorny patch over there, let's just throw that over there, maybe some will stick. It's not what's happening here, okay? They're watching someone sow their seed, and it was either that, or I guess uh, you could be a lazy farmer, and you'd put it all on a donkey, and you'd just kind of put a little hole in the bag and just let the donkey just walk, <laughs> all right? And so and that sounds very lazy, sounds very wasteful, but I guess that's what they did back in the day. And so, of course, as the donkey is wandering, uh, it's gonna hit all different kinds of, all kinds of ground, all right? So that's what's happening. They're watching this sower, uh, farmer sow his seed onto this long, skinny field, and it says, now a farmer went out to sow his seed. Verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it. All right, so this, this path, again, would have been this kind of foot path in between these fields, right? So as he's throwing his seed, of course, some seeds are gonna bounce onto that and, and if he wants to get right up to the edges. And that's, that's the path that Jesus is talking about. And the birds came and ate it up. Verse five, some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root, right? And again, this is not how we would think of uh, stony ground, right? In a field every, every year, I'm always amazed at rocks, like how they just come up out of the ground. I don't know how that happens, but every year farmers have to get big rocks out of their field. They're making fences out of them and all these different things. There's so many rocks. And I think that's maybe what we think of when, when we say stony ground or what we hear. Um, that's not the case here. This actually would have been limestone that is obviously prevalent all over the Middle East that would have been maybe covered by a little bit of dirt and somebody throws seed on it thinking this is fine, it's part of my field, but really underneath it, very shallow, there is hard rock. And so these roots don't have a way to penetrate deeply to get the nutrients they need. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. All right, so, so that, again, this, I think this one we, we understand, that if you've ever tried to plant anything or had any kind of garden, um, that doesn't matter how much preen or chemicals you put down or how many times you, you till it, if there's weeds in that dirt, 
the weeds are going to always grow back. They're all, they all, they always thinking grow back, right? And so you plant your seeds, you, you plant your vegetables, you, you plant your flowers, and inevitably these weeds come up. And it, even though it looks fine, that's where I'm going to plant, and yet there's weeds there in that soil. That's, that's what he's talking about here. And so these weeds grow up faster. Obviously, weeds grow much faster than, than good plants, and it, and it chokes out, out, the, out the plant. In verse 8, still others, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. All right, so that, that's what they would have heard. That was it. Jesus just says that, done. Says it one time, doesn't explain it, doesn't, doesn't talk about it. He just says it. But they would have had that understanding, right? So you can think, right? These people went home whether by themselves or with their, with their spouses, their families, their friends. And they're going, man, what do you, what do you think that meant? Let, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's chew on this a little bit more. Right? There's, there's a meaning behind this story. What do you think it is? But Jesus doesn't just end there. It says, uh, the word and the hearers, he ends that parable to them by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. And that's kind of the key, right? It's, it's the uh, deciphering code box thing that they need to interpret this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I need to hear it. I need to understand this, right? What, what is it that that he's saying the clue here is the hearers, that he's making a warning to the hearers. Verse 10, it says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Right, why not just speak it plainly? Right? And we went through all the, the reasons why Jesus would have done that. This is what he says. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets or the mystery of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Well, you, you have had, you, you're, you're behind the curtain, right? You've seen what's behind the curtain and again, uh, and, and Oz and all these different things. I'm not fake. I'm the real deal. I'm here and you've seen it. You've talked with me. We've, you've walked with me. You've seen me heal people and you've seen me produce food out of nothing. And, and all these miracles that have, have taken place, you know who I am. I am God. I am the I am. And before Abraham was, I am, you, you know that. They don't know that. And if I just stand up in front of a crowd and say, hey, everybody, I'm God. Yeah, it's not going to end well. And there's a reason why Jesus has to tell these stories. You've been given this mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this in verse 12, whoever has, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. That sounds like, like, well, that doesn't sound very fair, right? So, so because certain people are listening, that they, they're given more, and the people who, who don't, then it's taken, it's taken away. This doesn't sound, sound fair. I'm confused what's going on. A lot of, uh, par a lot of uh, commentaries called this life's stern law. And as I was reading this, what Jesus was saying, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is very true. Uh, case in point. Uh, how many of you uh, took Spanish in high school or at some point in your life? Uh, yeah, pretty much all of us, right? Um, I actually didn't. Uh, I did like in second grade. I learned how to sing Jesus Loves Me uh, in Spanish. That was about it. Um, I did not take Spanish, okay? But um, here's, the, here's the point. So out of you who were required to take Spanish in high school or college or whenever it is you took it, how many of you actually wanted to go study it more? And you would say to this day, I'm not fluent, but I still use it. I can still speak Spanish a little bit. Two, three, okay. All right, that's the point. 
This is what Jesus is saying here, right? You all had equal opportunity. Every single one of us, for the most part, right? I know this is a blanket statement. I never was offered Spanish. Um, if you, if, if, if that, so, so everyone's got the chance to take Spanish. And yet there were some, most of us said, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's not for me, right? Either I'm too lazy, it's too hard, right? Or I just say, I don't see the need of that, whatever it may be. And there were some of you that said, man, I actually like this. I, I see the benefit of learning this language to be able to speak and communicate to another people group that don't speak American, <laughs> right? That's the point that Jesus is saying here. We've, we've all, right? I'm, he's sown the seed. Everyone can hear. Everyone can hear. They've all been given this opportunity, and yet there are only those people who are going to pursue after it that are actually really going to gain this knowledge. And there are people going to say, nah, it's not for me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. And now he's going to start quoting Isaiah. It says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Other translations would say, although they have seen indeed, they do not see me. Although they have heard clearly, they do not hear or understand. Right? There's, they're, they're here. They're, the seed is going out there. This is a stern warning that Jesus is giving about the different kind of hearers. So I don't, I don't know, is that, is that accurate? I, I, well, think about jokes, right? I, I mean, I tell jokes. One of my favorite jokes I tell um, all the time is, uh, what's the best time of, of day? Don't say it if you know it. What's the best time of the day? 6.30, hands down. Got one. All right, hands down on the clock. Both hands are down. 6.30. All right, see? Hey, thank you. All right, now here's, here's why I say that. The other, one, the other one, anytime someone says 2.30, say, oh, you got to go to the dentist. I'm like, what? Yeah, 2, 2.30? Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> I feel good about myself. <laughs> All right, these are actually so two. I got, there's four times a day I can use these jokes. Uh, 2.30 a.m. Hey, man, you're 2.30. <laughs> um, all right, here's the thing. Here's the point, right? There, there are people who have sense of humors, right? Which Andrea is the only one who has a sense of humor in here, apparently. All right, and so there are people who have a sense of humor who say, that's funny, right? That, that, like, that's a funny, and there are other people who just say, that, just move on. Okay, let, what's, the, what's the point here? Right, that's, that's <laughs> Ben, yeah. All right, that's, that's the whole thing, right? It's like, I, I'm, we're all hearing it, but people respond differently, and that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying here. And so then he goes on and continues quoting in Isaiah, and again, when you hear this, this sounds almost harsh, but we got to be careful. What is Jesus really saying in this warning to his people? He says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, right? You will hear indeed, but never understanding. You will see, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, they hardly, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. They just have to be willing to listen. I mean, to really listen to what I'm saying. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous, righteous people long to see what you see, but do not see it, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. And specifically, he's saying this message of the gospel of the good news, of the Messiah being here, right? So when we look at what Jesus is saying, specifically in that passage in Isaiah, right, this is Jesus saying that he's speaking in parables specifically to deceive people. The answer is no. 
Right? Jesus came to this earth to bring light to the darkness, to bring truth into a world of chaos and lies and deceit. That's why Jesus came here. But he had to do so in a way in parables so that he wouldn't immediately be stoned to death. He had to do this in a way so that we could hear, that we could understand for ourselves, that our eyes could be open to the truth and say, yes, that is good, that he is trustworthy and he is true. The thing about Christianity is that it can only be understood from the inside. Right? That sounds very cultish. It's not, right? But I can only understand this when I really believe like a child. I believe the words of Jesus and who he is, that he says that I have sinned against him and that he is the only one who can save me from my sins. If I'm not a Christian, that sounds crazy. Right, just think of the Lord's Supper. I mean, we do this every week that we gather together and we, we break bread and we, we get some juice and we eat it and we drink it together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. This bread represents the body of Christ and this juice represents the blood of Christ. That's crazy if I don't actually believe this. So we gotta hear, we gotta believe, we gotta understand just like a child as it was last week. So then Jesus then explains, there are four types of hearers in this story. It says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. And maybe you know people like this. They just flat out, I don't want anything to do with that gospel, with that Christianity, with all that blood talk, with all this, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness talk. I don't want it. So it's gone. They want nothing to do with that. This is the scene, seeds sown along the path. There's no chance for that seed to penetrate into that dirt. Verse 20, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. Maybe you know someone like that, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution or life and family and kids get in the way because of the world, they quickly fall away. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word of God, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So that's the explanation. Right there, that's what it means. That's the meaning of this. And he's giving this warning to the hearers of who are we going to be? And it's not just that. It's not just a warning to the hearers. It's also an encouragement to the sower. This is very encouraging when we look at sowing the seed and sowing the word of God. The first thing when we look at a word to the sowers is that we don't know the effect. We don't know the effect of our, of our, of our seed that we're sowing. That when we share the gospel, when we share the good news, to be to a coworker, to a friend, to a, to a roommate, whatever it may be, to a family member. We might share that. There's some stat out there that says that the average person needs to hear the gospel seven times before they believe it. Uh, I don't know where that stat came from. I don't know how they figured that out, but people need to hear it. They gotta hear it, and they gotta hear it a lot. All right, we, don't, we don't know the effect. Um, this, this happened to me a while back um, when I was in Illinois. Uh, my mentor had me read a tiny little book by, by a pastor down in, in Louisville, uh, C.J. Mahaney, and, and the name of the book uh, is uh, The Cross-Centered Life. 
And I read this book, and because he told me to, and I called him up, and I said, that's the dumbest book I've ever read in my life. It doesn't make any sense. Why would a pastor write a book about the gospel to people who already believe the gospel? And my mentor was like, well, read it again. You, you don't get it, right? I, I didn't have ears to hear. I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm reading it. I don't get it. And then for some reason, the second time through, my life changed. Literally overnight, my life changed when I realized that the gospel wasn't just something I believed to get me into heaven. The gospel was something that I do moment by moment, day to day, and it changed everything in my life. It changed my marriage, uh, changed how I, it changed everything. How I did my finances, all that stuff. Years later, this just happened a couple months ago now, uh, there was a woman who attends Hope and knows uh, Pastor C.J. Mahaney in, in Louisville and, and uh, went up to him after a service and just, and uh, she, she wanted to, to get him to write me a letter or something and, and uh, she didn't have any paper or a pen, but when she walked in, they were actually giving out free copies of, of that book of The Cross-Centered Life. So she grabbed one and, and went forward and, and uh, she said that when she told C.J. my story, that he immediately started weeping and his response, and he, and he wrote in, in, in the leaflet of the, of the book that I have now in my, on my, in my office, was, was to this idea. Right? You, 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 you labor, you, you preach the gospel, you do this day in and day out, and you have no idea of what's going on in people's lives. We don't know. So let's not presume to know. Let's not presume to understand, oh man, my brother, he is the path. This is, he, he's never going to believe the gospel. Why, why keep doing this? We, you don't know that. We don't know the effect. We don't know what kind of soil people are when we're sharing the gospel. And secondly, this growth is in terms of agriculture. And anytime in scripture, when we look at sanctification, it's the idea of, of growing in my Christian life. Now, when we look at that, or we look at somebody coming to, to faith, it's always in terms of seasons and bearing fruit. It's always terms of agriculture. It's never immediately doesn't happen that way. And so when we share the gospel, we sow the seed, it's okay to sit back and let God make it grow because I cannot. All I can do is preach the gospel. It's all we can do. It's all we've been called to do. Now, as we look at this similarly to last week, that last week we could say, hey, you need to just act like a child. You just need to believe, don't, right? It turns into legalism. And same thing with, with this, that if we end it right there, Right, this can turn into, right, you need, to, you need to listen better, right? It just turns into moralism. You need to share the gospel more effectively. Come on, Christians, right? That's law. That's not what makes us Christians. It's just doing things, right? That's why Jesus was rejected out of the synagogues because of the, all the religious people saying, this is how we gotta do things. But Jesus, the one who was born under the law, fulfilled the law so that we, the ones who couldn't fulfill the law, can look to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith and say what the psalmist actually says, I desire, I love your law. How in the world can somebody say, I love restrictions, I love law, I love, I love what it is that you have for me? Because we move from I have to do these things to I get, I get to do this. I want to do this. I want to listen because this teaching of Jesus is so Good. And other people outside might say, that's restrictive. All these rules and what you can and can't do. And we look at that from the inside and say, praise Jesus. How is that possible? I think Ephesians 2 wraps this up pretty neatly. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
You were the pathway. You were the stony ground. You, you were the thorny ground. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom, the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You were dead. You were not good ground. And all of us also lived among them, all of us at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, every single human being who's ever lived except Jesus. We deserve this, whether we understand why we deserved it. We committed high treason against the creator of the universe. We traded him, the creator, for created things. But because of his great love for us, God, the Father who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, that when we were this, this ground that didn't want to hear, there was something that God did and stirred in our life, and he tilled the ground of our heart to be able to listen and to see and to hear and comprehend and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is by his grace that you've been saved. You didn't do anything to become good ground. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, this faith. This faith is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Oh, you must be stony ground. Well, guess what? I'm good ground. No, 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 no. For we are all God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You might say, Brian, you, you sound like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. And I am. In the sense of, wait, is, it, is this a warning to the hearers? Or is this simply God has to do the work? The answer is yes. I have to respond. That's me doing that. And yet in some way that I don't understand and never will understand, it will take me all of eternity to probably comprehend this, that God is also somehow in control of this. But I have to respond. I have to listen. And I have to receive that word of the good news of Jesus Christ by faith, like a child opening and unwrapping a banana for Christmas and saying, it's for me. I love this. If you were in here last week, that doesn't make any sense. I apologize. So in application, what kind of soil here are you, right? And maybe this is even not just so much on a, on a grand, am I saved or not, but what kind of soil, what kind of here are you on a day-to-day -day basis? That when you come across the word of God, are we just quick to say, man, that's not me. I don't know if he actually meant that. That's, that's hard. That's a hard saying that he would have said. Maybe things have changed. I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. What kind of soil, what kind of here are you? Or do you think that you're better than other people? You understand better or, or whatever it may be. And, and um, we're going to look at that next week, actually. And then finally, do you sow the seed of the word? Church, we've been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And not just me, like, hey, I did my job. I do my job on Sunday. I'm good. Time out. Right? My neighbor's like, hey. What do you do for work? I'm like, hey, man, I leave work at work. Leave me alone. It's not, no, man, we got, we got to share the gospel. We got we to talk about Jesus to people. 
We gotta sow that seed and maybe they will reject it over and over and over and over and over and over. We don't know. We don't know. So do you sow the seed of the word? So we are gonna have communion like we do every week. We're gonna do this weird ritual that Christians have been doing for over 2,000 years. And we're gonna eat some bread and we're gonna drink some juice together to remember what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. That he took the wrath that we deserved, as Paul says, on himself so that we could have life and life abundant. He gave us that. All I ask is that, are you a follower of Jesus? Maybe you weren't when you walked in. Maybe you say, man, I did hear that today. I, I heard that. I want it. I want to listen. I want to obey and say, yes, I want to follow King Jesus. Maybe, maybe today can be your first day to take communion. We'd love to be able to share communion with you today if you're a follower of Jesus. There is a gluten-free option uh, on my left, your right, if that is a dietary restriction. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the wisdom that he had uh, to not just stand up on day one and say, everyone bow down, worship me. I'm the king of kings. I made all of you. I'm God. But in, in his wisdom and your divine wisdom, that you had this plan, that Jesus being filled with your spirit was gonna share these stories and these parables so that thousands of years later, we can say, I need that. I need to hear that. I need to listen to that, but not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And not doers because I have to, not doers because if I don't, I'm gonna go to hell or God's not gonna like me, but doers because we want to, because we recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And so as we remember and recognize what Jesus did for us, as we partake of these elements, God, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Would you be magnified now as we sing, as we pray, as we, as we remember your sacrifice, as we take these elements? And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray, amen.